0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Fighting Shadows, overcoming seven lies that keep men from becoming fully alive, written and narrated by Jefferson Bethke and John Tyson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks.
1: Okay, <laughs> we're recording now. <laughs> we'll be able to cut. <laughs>
0: okay, uh, Ready? i'm always ready that's not true
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's you right okay Uh. will artificial intelligence start delivering all your amazon orders if nine million drivers lose their jobs what should we do about it this is device and virtue Well, hey, welcome back to Device and Virtue, where we argue the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life. I'm Chris. And I'm Adam. Chris, we are talking about artificial
0: intelligence again.
1: you are always talking about this.
0: I know. That's because everybody's talking about it. It's just in the water. Yeah, everybody's talking about it, including a new friend, Jason Thacker. He just wrote a book called The Age of AI. So I got in touch with him and decided, hey, can we talk about your new book oh yeah I, an interview yeah so we're doing an interview today and yeah so hey, his hey book adam is, what
1: did you did you hear about google's new ai powered robotic broom <laughs> soon it'll be sweeping the nation <laughs> I knew that was a joke. Do you I like knew. my joke? Okay, no, wait. No, wait. No, it was I, terrible. That was such a bad. Joke. No, no. I have a better one. Are you ready? No, uh, no. I'm not no, ready. No, this is this is good. I, I'm a little so, nervous, honestly. Okay, well, I need to tell you a story. So there's this. So there's this scientist that creates the smartest AI in the world and presents it to the United Nations. Okay. And oh, I do where this is going. And he says this can like solve any problem at this point. And so you know, all the world leaders look at this and they're a little bit skeptical. And the president of the United States says really do we let's well, imaginary president of the United States. <laughs> but he says really can it solve poverty and so the ai goes calculating and then it spits out a piece of paper and all the world leaders lean in and look at what's on the page and there's proposals and all the leaders go back to their countries and they put the proposals into action And in one month everyone in the world starts having better lives It's amazing. They're all very impressed. So they recall a meeting of the United Nations, and they call the AI back in there, and they say, well, how do we create world peace? And the AI goes calculating, and it thinks for wealth, and it spits out a piece of paper. And they all lean in and look at the piece of paper, and there's proposals on that piece of paper. And all the leaders take that and run back to their countries and implement everything it says. And in one month, all wars and conflicts cease everyone hates guns. The world is full of love. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) So they go, wow. So they recall a meeting of the UN and they say, we should ask about the purpose of life. And they say, AI, is there a God? (laughs) And the AI says, calculating. And it spits out a piece of paper and it says, insufficient resources needs more computation. And they're like, oh no, it did world peace and it did poverty, but it can't do this. And the scientist says, it needs more computing power. They're like, no problem, we'll help out. So they grab all of America's superpower and they get Google to use its server farms to help the AI. And they go back to the AI and they say, okay, is there a God? And the AI goes calculating and it spits out another piece of paper and it says, insufficient resources still need more computation. And they go, Ah, so they get all the EU, they get every country in the world to turn on all its server farms for one day to give this amazing AI the ability to answer this question. And they say, is there a God? And the AI responds, there is one now. <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> I
0: do not know what to do with this. Mm-hmm. We really need to get to this interview because Jason is no joke, and he has done a lot of good thinking about artificial intelligence and the future of humanity.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing your interview with Jason. So we'll cut to that and get to talk about it a little more.
0: So I'm here with Jason Thacker. He is the Associate Research Fellow and Creative Director at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and the author of The Age of AI, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity. Jason, thanks for joining us on Device and Virtue. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Adam. Yeah, it's great to have you. So I was just seeing an article on The New York Times this last week and read that the White House earmarked $1.1 billion to AI research. So obviously it's on the minds of government officials, But I'm wondering, in your mind, why should Christians be thinking about artificial
2: intelligence for themselves? Yeah, and that's a fantastic question because often when I talk about artificial intelligence or write about these technologies, I'm met with a couple different reactions. One is either apathy, like that's not really something that concerns me. I don't really need to be thinking about those things. Uh I don't actually use AI. I don't even know what it is. It sounds so futuristic (laughs) and sci-fi. So you kind of have that apathy, but then there's another reaction that's often equal or even more prominent is a lot of fear Yeah. because you see headlines after headlines of killer robots or job stealing robots (laughs) or in 10 years, we're all going to be living on the street because the robots have taken over. And so you have this (laughs) like dystopian fear of technologies and what they're able to do and the reason I believe that Christians should be thinking about these things is because our culture is already thinking about them. And it's right. not that we're responding to culture as much as that we want to be part of these conversations as they're happening. And so through my work, not only in the book, but also the other work that I do as my research fellow at the ERLC, is we hope to educate and equip the local church to be thinking proactively about these issues. Yeah, that's Often great. the Christian church has been reactive to social issues and issues Absolutely. of the day. And I think that for the first time in a long time, maybe even the last century or two, the church might be able to be proactively engaging an issue as the conversations are happening. So one, to be able to be part of the conversation and having that because reality is, is we are all using artificial intelligence every single day, often every single moment of the day in some form or fashion because we have smart devices and smart watches and smart thermostats. Uh-huh sitting uh-huh. right next to me as my phone. And if I say <laughs> the magic wake word, Siri will uh-huh. wake up and start talking to us. We already use it. There's a, an incredible quote from Ray Kurzweil that I open the book with from his book, How to Create a Mind. Ray Kurzweil is a Googler. He's kind of a self-proclaimed futurist. Yeah, uh, right. Kind of futurist philosopher. And as he's talking about it, he says that if tomorrow all of the AI systems that we use decided to wake up, which is kind of the sci-fi futuristic kind of thing. They decided to wake up and revolt against us. Our communication, our banking, our manufacturing, our national security, everything would grind to a halt hmm. because we're already using these technologies. This isn't some super advanced kind of artificial intelligence. This is just the baseline, what we're already using Uh, much less kind of the progress that we're going. And so I feel like the Christian church, we need to be thinking about these things uh, because we do have the hope of the gospel. We know who Jesus is. We know who God is and Mm -hmm. how a Christian ethic or moral guidelines apply to a lot of the big questions that people are asking. And that's why I feel like Christians need to be part of the conversation, but also be equipping ourselves because these issues are already affecting us.
0: Yeah, I think about the apathy and the fear. And I think in both cases, it's sort of AI is this unknown thing. So either I, I don't know about it, so I don't care, or I don't know about it. And it's kind of scary. So the way we sort of understand AI today is really through movies. We kind of have these, you kind of mentioned dystopian sort of understanding. So how do you think AI in reality is different from how it's portrayed? Or, or how do you think it's similar to what we see in the movies?
2: Yeah, and that's, that's where – I'm glad you said that about kind of these sci-fi movies and novels. That's where we get so much of right. our understanding of these emerging technologies like facial recognition and surveillance and all – especially with artificial intelligence. I think it's kind of one – it kind of it does show kind of where our fears are as a people, the things yeah. that we dread, the things that we look for, that we're looking forward to. Kind of yeah. is it a utopian or a dystopian future? Where is our hope being placed? So there's kind of absolutely uh, exegeting our souls in many ways, hmm. but then also there's a many ways kind of a fundamental misunderstanding of what AI is because okay. we're assuming that AI is killer robots, fully autonomous, conscious beings that are going (laughs) to enslave us or, you Uh know, turn us into their pets. But all of those kind of often dystopian type futures are what's called artificial general intelligence or even super intelligence, which is not the form of AI that we have. Right. And so I think there's a lot of hype and a lot of and I don't want to say mis- not fake news, but more misinformation about what's happening and kind of the state of things. Yeah. And so in my book and through my work, I really want to kind of cut through that and talk about what are the real issues. And so – For example, of how uh, smart assistants might be changing how we view ourselves or how we view our family, the Mm. nature of work, Mm. the nature of warfare, the nature of privacy and data protection and a lot of those kind of day to day issues. And so you have that difference between artificial general intelligence or super intelligence and what's deemed narrow AI, which is every form of AI we have now, which simply means is that the AI is developed for a specific task. So my thermostat can adjust the temperature, but it's not going to uh, launch a missile. (laughs) It just doesn't have that capability. It's trained for a very specific task and it performs that task often really well. Yeah. Um, like identifying photos in our photo library and saying, this is you know my wife or this is my son and yeah. having that kind of facial recognition AI. So it's they're trained for very specific tasks. And when you take a lot of those systems and put them together, you can do some really cool stuff, <laughs> some really God honoring things, I believe. Hmm. But they can also be misused and abused in really nefarious purposes, uh, very sinful, prideful purposes, but also very dehumanizing ways. And so throughout the book, I talk about artificial intelligence in light of human dignity, um, yeah. because I do think that artificial intelligence is one of the most pressing and and will be more pressing as, the, as we continue human dignity issues that we're going to face. And it's not so much about humanizing our machines, which we do for sure, yeah. but it's also this kind of dehumanizing ourselves and having a faulty understanding of who we are, who God is, who we are, and how we understand how we've been made. And so that's what I do throughout the book, especially in the first two chapters, is kind of setting the foundation and the stage for having these conversations in light of uh, human dignity and wisdom.
0: You use the framework of the image of God to sort of think about AI. And a lot of Christians might not think of those things as connected. So can you explain sort of why you use the image of God as a framework for thinking about artificial intelligence.
2: Yeah, and I'll start off kind of even how I got into this. So it was a few years ago, probably three or four years ago, I was reading a number of books. I've always been interested in technology. I've grown up surrounded by technology. I worked for Apple for a number of years. And then going into my seminary studies, I started studying a lot of Theology and ethics. And as I moved into my role at the ERLC here in Nashville, I was doing a lot of this reading from purely scientific kind of secular backgrounds, engaging these issues specifically around AI. There was a lot of questions about ethics and AI, what should be guiding how we use these tools? Uh, what are the ethical bounds? And so there all these kind of questions kind of piqued my interest. Yeah. And I noticed through a lot of these writings, there's a very uh, materialistic worldview that drives mm. so much of the conversation and the materialistic worldview simply uh, means that there is nothing spiritual. Everything right. is based in matter. Materialism has been around. It's a, it's an age-old philosophy that's been around for thousands <laughs> of years. And that worldview says there's really nothing unique or special about humanity, that we're just another part of the world, that we are just smarter. We've yeah. evolved to a higher state than other uh, life forms and other parts of what we deem creation but other parts of the world and it it completely negates the existence of a god uh, a personal god that we as Christians believe in mm-hmm. and then there's really a faulty understanding of humans and i thought as i was engaging these things and writing on them it just kind of thought my it kind of came to me this idea of viewing technologies and their impact on our life through the Imago Dei or the image of God, this idea that we're set yeah. apart, that we're created by God. And so through the book, I kind of lay that out and saying, AI really doesn't cause us to ask new questions per se of humanity in okay. the world. It really causes us to ask age old questions in light of new opportunities. So
0: if artificial intelligence is sort of growing out of that mentality that you've been talking about that seems fairly antithetical to the gospel how do you think that ai could help people reflect the image of god to to pursue that purpose of loving uh others loving god when there when there seems to be sort of at the heart this sort of core conflict
2: yeah and that's a great question I love technology. I love thinking about how these tools are going to continue to evolve and grow and aid us. And if we have a proper understanding of what technology is and the purpose of technology, Uh which is to aid us and to serve us as we serve the creator, if we keep that in mind. AI is an incredibly powerful, God honoring technology that's doing immense good in our society. Often people say, Well, are you anti artificial intelligence or think it's this kind of doomsday thing? Not at all. Because I know the ruler of the universe, and there's nothing that we're going to create that shocks or scares God or catches him off guard. Like he knows these things, and keeping that proper role of technology in our life, we can use these tools as Jesus said in Matthew 22, to love God and to love our neighbor. And so these tools can be used in incredible ways of recognizing the value and dignity of human beings. And just a really practical example of that, there's the story that still blows my mind that a team of Chinese doctors had developed an algorithm or an AI system that would be used to evaluate coma patients Okay, And if someone's in a coma, they kind of have a test kind of are they going to come out of this? And so they have Mm -hmm. a number of factors. And so they do all these scans and these checks and grade people, uh, not in a dehumanizing way, but to tell the family like, you know, there's we have hope. We think that they're going to come out of this coma or it seems that they're kind of uh, brain dead or they're not going to be able to come out of this to help the family cope and to make the hard decisions on what to do. And so these often these scores are given and it helps the family. And these doctors tested, they kind of did an A B test in some ways where the doctors came around and administered the test on a number of patients. And then the AI system did too. Well, there were eight or nine. Patients that were in comas that the doctors had given really low scores to basically saying mm. there's really no hope here. I mean, mm. it's a minor, minor hope if there is any. The AI system came in and picked up factors and data that the humans missed Okay. and said based on these patterns and what it had learned so far, it gave a much higher score to these folks. And all eight or nine of those folks were covered within a year. Wow. And so you kind of see how artificial intelligence can aid us. I mean, we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. Things don't work the way they're supposed to. We don't honor God and love our neighbor as we're created to. Sin has kind of wreaked havoc on our lives. And it's also wreaked havoc on our minds and our understanding of the world. And so I think artificial intelligence can be used as a very powerful tool A.I. and all technology is a tool that God has given us to help love him and to love our neighbor.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting story. It's interesting to me, too, that you see it as sort of correcting a flaw that the doctors had in their own sort of accounting for the data. And yet both the A.I. and the doctors, they're they're both accounting for the human person using human mechanisms, I'm just trying to think this through a little bit in terms of how it rectifies an error that we're making and whether that is moving us more towards the image of God then. But it's still a product of our own humanness, our own
2: reason. And that's why I think it's really important as we're talking about AI is that we continue to understand that AI is a tool. Uh, that God has given us to aid us into. So it doesn't so much make us more human. We can't ontologically be more or less human. We are created in God's image. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Even my 94-year-old grandmother, who had really no ability to do much of anything at that point, was still the same image bearer, that I am and that my three-year-old son is. And so that really, that status wasn't changing. But what it Uh can do is it can help us. It can aid us. It can assist us. Like Just the role that technology can play in helping us to better live out the image of God Mm -hmm. and to often kind of account for sometimes our flaws. Now, that doesn't mean that AI is perfect. AI can be not only misused and abused, but it can be Programmed or designed in such a way, because it's programmed and designed by fallen humans, we often put in bias or we, these systems don't work the way they were supposed to, but we need to make sure that we're keeping that into account. And a really just baseline kind of human example is in terms of warfare. Yeah. If you have an autonomous weapon system that identifies a target and pulls the trigger, part of what this – it's called the OODA loop, which is this observing loop kind of is the human in the loop in the decision-making process or is the human outside of it or is it on the loop? You have a lot of different distinctions that I talk about in the chapter on war. And what we need to always keep in mind is that we are responsible. We are God's image bearers and the people on the other side – of the weapon, even our enemies are also created in God's image. And so I mm-hmm. do believe that we can use these tools uh, to pursue justice in a f- broken and fallen world uh, because our God is a just God. And applying that in modern day context is what does that mean to, in terms of drone warfare? What does that mean in terms of Israel's Harpy and Harpo? Uh, nearly, if it depends on how you define it, are fully autonomous weapon systems. Right now, this isn't right. something that's going to happen in 10 or 20 years. It's something Israel's already developed and selling. Yeah. Um, they're called loitering munitions. And basically what that means is that they are assigned to an area. And if they identify a target, they can identify, engage and neutralize that target on their own and report back what oh, they man. did. Now, that's man. scary It is uh, yeah. to a lot of folks. And it should be. And the reason is because there's real human lives at stake. Right now, we'll have debates on ethical uses of autonomous weapon systems as we were developing our evangelical statement of principles as an organization on A.I. A lot of that kind of came out of the infamous Google Project Maven debacle. Okay. where the, the company or the employees revolted against leadership at Google saying they didn't want to work and they didn't want to be in the business of war. Now okay. they have every right to do that. But that also doesn't mean that we have the ability to step back and disengage from pursuing justice in a broken world.
3: God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout scripture. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Cat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform.
0: Back at the beginning you kind of mentioned there's there's sort of this apathy or this fear. And one fear that people have is is this AI gonna take my job? And there's been a lot of prognosticators in the last two years or so that are predicting that this is gonna happen. How should we be thinking about work in the context of AI as
2: Christians? Yeah, that's one of the biggest questions that people have. I think that is a really big kind of felt need that people have in terms of AI and technology is the fundamental nature of work is often shifting and changing or it feels like it's shifting and changing right underneath Mm -hmm. our feet. Right. We already see this in factories. Some of the Amazon factories that use drone or kind of robots Uh, All the time where these robots are going from point A to point B to pick up product and move it back or these really slim robots, which is kind of neat to think that they go underneath the product and lift up and then move the pallets and skids. And so you think of just a very popular but helpful example of self-driving car technology. Right. It seems really futuristic. I think it'd be really cool. I would be really excited to have a (laughs) self-driving car. I know there are lots of ethical issues surrounding that. But when you just think if tomorrow we had mass deployment of self-driving car technology just in the trucking transportation business, which is about nine, nine million jobs or so, hmm. if that's nine million people who very well might be out of a job soon – So that's mass unemployment, (laughs) like even just from one deployment, much less if you then take that out of trucking and apply it to transportation, to deliveries, uh, to food services, just the sheer panic that it would ensue on society. Now, I don't believe that. And we're going to have this like flip of the switch and we're going to have mass deployment. This is going to be kind of a slow ramp up. But it really shows that if you have that many people out of work immediately, Just think of the secondary effects of not only do they not have jobs, but specifically with men, it's shown when men are without a job and unemployed, that drug use, sexual abuse slash porn use and things like that Uh escalate. It could have a major, major effect on our communities. And so I think as we're talking about how technology will change work, we need to look historically not that it's going to give us all the answers, but the a lot of the fears that we have today are similar to what they had within the Industrial Revolution, and um, you have the famous Luddites. Don't be a Luddite, which kind of rejected the weaving loom and saying we don't want to use these tools. A lot of those same type of questions are being asked now. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I do claim to have the hope of the gospel and understanding of what work is. Work is not something that we have to do because we live in a broken world. Work Mm -hmm. is something we're created to do because we're made in the image of God. We were given jobs to do before the fall. The fall made our work harder. It didn't make us work. So part of working is actually living out the image of God. If I take a vacation (laughs) for more than a week or two, now most people can't take that long of a vacation, but if I take a week, I'm kind of itching to get back to work. We are Mm -hmm. created to work and work is part of what it means to be created in the image of God. So we don't look forward to a jobless future. In the sense of, oh, just think I could be leisure 24-7 like WALL-E, right, right, where you right. have all the people in the space <laughs> the, the space station being fed and watching TV and, and being entertained while the robots do all the jobs. That's not what we look forward to as Christians. That's not how we've been created. So having that paradigm and that framework of what is the nature of work and why we work, then going into some of the real tough questions about when we deploy these technologies, what's going to happen. I don't think we're going to have mass joblessness per se. What I do think is that it's going to have a massive impact on our society and the church needs to be ready to encourage and equip to stand alongside those who do lose their jobs. Parts of our jobs will be automated, yeah, not right. maybe our entire job. So you think of jobs that are straight eliminated with technology is like the elevator operator. We don't have, you know, in my building, maybe in really fancy buildings, you have an elevator operator. We don't have one of those. I have a little button and I just push it and go. Yeah, We don't see like... Mass protests and riots on the streets of former elevator operators demanding (laughs) to have a job. No, we're adaptable. That's what another part of being creating God's image is that we're adaptable and flexible. We're creative. We come up with new tech, new things. We're the things we're doing today didn't exist 200 years ago. People didn't do podcasts. So like the whole (laughs) idea is like we're creating this technology and often we're creating kind of future jobs and roles that never existed before.
3: Mm hmm.
2: Yeah, and that's where I think that creative element helps us to look forward to the future of work rather than being fearful and uh, nervous about it.
0: Yeah, that's great. As portions of work get automated, it ends up that that we don't think about that as part of our job anymore. It's just something that happens and our job kind of shifts in another direction. And I think you're right. It is going to happen slowly and gradually over time. There may be some disrupted
2: industries I, I even and think- there will be there' without a doubt and that's why I think in the chapter on work I really get into issues of how should we be thinking about job retraining and re-education yeah, what role yeah. does the church play what role does the government play what role does private industry play these are real questions that we need to be addressing yeah. because we I I do believe it is going to be a AI kind of automation crisis per se but I don't think that's something that we have to be fearful of in many ways, like it's coming in saying, okay, God is still reigning. He's still on his throne. So how do we address this really pressing moral issue, knowing that there are real live human beings created in his image kind of caught in the crosshairs?
0: Yeah, I think a great example is just, I work in the book industry, but book selling and retail book buying in the past decade or 15 years has really shifted to Amazon and Amazon has automated a lot of that, and the bookseller has sort of disappeared. People that are working in bookstores, they don't exist anymore. And and so that's one industry that we actually have seen quite a quite a big shift away from. And there's a lot of people out of work, I think, who were working in a bookstore three years ago that hopefully have found another job, but maybe haven't. But everybody shops because Prime is amazing, right?
2: Yeah, there are real world tangible benefits to it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Just an example is uh, my wife is currently going through chemotherapy treatment for mm. Hodgkin's lymphoma that she was diagnosed with last year. And, you know, it's a really huge blessing that I have Prime now and can order groceries and they show up within two yeah. hours. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. It is actually. amazing. It takes immense pressure off my family. It's this yeah. multi layered thing there are always going to be benefits and there are always going to be drawbacks. And the call of the Christian in these conversations is not to do what's maybe best for private companies or best for the government. It's not always going to be what's uh, going to bring us more income or uh, increase our bottom line. What we really need to be thinking about is the humanity of our neighbor. And that's why I think that loving God and loving our neighbor is so important, because my hope through this book and through the work that I do in general is to educate and equip the church to be starting to think through these things proactively rather than reacting, getting caught flat-footed. And so maybe this can be an opportunity for us to come together as a people, not only come together as the church, but even as a society and a culture to address some of these really pressing issues and do that together yeah. for the good of humanity.
0: Yeah, I think one of the themes I'm hearing from you is really this idea of thoughtful engagement and really not running away in fear or you know shrugging it off in apathy, but really Being uh, engaged with what is happening here, taking the time to observe it and really ask, okay, so what do I do for my neighbor or or what can I ask my neighbor to do for me based on these new situations that are arising? It's that ethical question, right? It's what do I do now based on what's happening around me?
2: Yeah, not every Christian is going to be called to address these issues at a super deep or practical level. Often, especially church leaders, it might be just having conversations. Maybe it's picking up a book like mine or a number of other great books out there and just learning kind of the basic kind of framework or parameters, kind of the big issues that are going on, and then preaching and teaching and helping our people to understand some of the big issues at stake. Yeah. Is it's not just, should I use this technology or not? Maybe we asked some other questions, maybe deeper questions is, well, what is this technology? How is it changing how we view ourselves or our yeah. neighbor? Or how is it influencing us for good or for ill and addressing it from that perspective? And my book is kind of addressing a lot of the ethical and kind of moral issues yeah. of the day yeah. and applying scripture to them. It's not a surprise to any listener that the Bible doesn't mention artificial intelligence ever. So people say, well, how would you write a book on that? Well, no, I'm I'm taking principles that are found in the scriptures and applying them in light of modern technology and modern opportunities. Because our people are starting to ask these questions. They're seeing the headlines that we're seeing. There is a fear. There's apathy. And sometimes there's just unfettered hope. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened. And maybe we need to come in and say, "Uh, let's walk that back a little bit. Do we see some of the other issues at bay here? Mm -hmm. Do we see how the conversations around the future of work are based on uh, ethic saying that you are nothing but the work you do and the Mm -hmm. contributions you bring. Well, that's not what Christianity says. And so my hope through the book is to kind of put forth a way of understanding, a way of thinking about these things grounded in the scriptures, uh, grounded in the Christian moral tradition of uh, the image of God and human dignity, and hopefully equipping the church to move forward with hope, and use these tools for their God-glorifying means and hopefully to protect and value people who are created in the image of God, whether they're on this side, our side, our tribe, or maybe they're all the way across the world and they're our perceived enemies. They're still creating God's image and still demand that we recognize that and how we deploy and use these technologies. Well, Jason, thank you for sharing about your book. The book is called The Age of
0: AI – artificial intelligence and the future of humanity thanks yeah
1: thank you for having me Adam Wow Adam that is a good interesting conversation with Jason Thacker
0: it really was I really enjoyed chatting with him and hearing he spent a lot of time writing this book and, and thinking it through so I mean he gets a really wide
1: war, you're talking about jobs, you're talking about doctors, you're talking about if every truck driver in America turned into a self-driving truck, what would happen? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. I had all sorts of reactions. Did you or he talk about like how the movies that we create sort of yeah. show our cultural fears? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we get a lot of what we believe about artificial
0: intelligence from movies. And, and it is. It's an expression of our fears and our hopes.
1: Almost a reflection of the humans more than the machine. Than yes, machines. exactly. <laughs> it's a mirror. Who knew? So I was just thinking through this. I was trying to think. I actually came with three sort of personal questions. That, no. that I was thinking, how could I react to this? Uh, maybe other people would think about it too. But here they are. Like my first one really was about that job thing with the whole drivers. <laughs> was, right. You know, he was saying, hey, humans in the image of God, they're, they're adaptable. You really can change a job, but that's also a hard yeah. thing, right? That's been in our yeah. politics nationally. But if, if all of a sudden all the Ubers tomorrow do go self-driving, you may have a lot of people that have been using that to make a living, yeah. In Chicago here, you know, there's Ubers everywhere and people are using it to make a living. That really yeah. has a human toll, an economic toll. Right. So we could think about that in policy and it's voting season and that things. But my question was how could my church love our neighbor in a world where AI might be taking their job? Mm. Right. Like what are the practical things we could do? Like, what, what could I invite my church to think about? <laughs> could feel people might go, "What is that an issue?" You know, like churches maybe help the homeless and maybe we do evangelism projects, but usually no one has an AI based job training ministry. <laughs> yeah, well, and
0: I think we're not going to have an AI based ministry. It's just going to be that. Things yeah, yeah that, I guess not that.
1: Like a people based ministry. Well, yeah, but not of that, AI.
0: no, no, I yeah, get yeah. that, but things that AI takes off our plate in terms of work is no longer thought about as our responsibility or our part of our job. Right, right. And so the people who are experiencing the consequences of AI won't really know it, I think. But they'll it be experiencing unemployment or underemployment, or they'll be experiencing uh low pay for their work. Oh.
1: Because it's not like someone walks into your job and says, you're getting laid off because of AI. That's like a movie. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's more like they might maybe struggle to move up in a job or yeah, they feel like there's less and less jobs out yeah. there or something. Yeah. But I think like the practicalness of the church, if churches really want to think about this for the next 25 years, I think one thing my church was started doing, it's a little crazy, but setting aside a little more money out of our budget in order to help people that are in need. Thinking about like, could we invest it to love them to invest in like a job training program, you know, mm-hmm, <laughs> like mm-hmm. get either in a community college or like the high tech boot camps. I know some <laughs> people that are doing those recently, you know, the three or six month programs to sort of change into a different career that really work. And they, they even promise to help you get hired. Uh, it seems weird to have a church invest that, but maybe that's a cool way to love a neighbor. Yeah, the job training is a really interesting approach.
0: Part of me is skeptical about it because I think it is hard to transition from one industry to another
1: yeah but don't you think people are i don't know i was sort of with jason on this like i, I think people have core strengths that okay. they can apply to a lot of things you know our personalities you know i always ask to like people are you sort of better at math or better at english and everyone like responds to that question instantly because they know you know they are more the person that read or more the person that was good at math class i don't know there's core things that people are good at that can apply to other situations it's not the same work but mm-hmm. maybe uses some of the same heart and mind the other
0: thing i was going to say about it is i hear a lot of people making arguments that ai is not actually going to take the manual labor jobs it's going to take the white collar intellectual work jobs i'm actually somewhat convinced by that argument more than thinking i mean we're not going to have ai installing a bathroom sink
1: are you you worried they're coming for you adam
0: <laughs> I mean, I think white-collar workers should be more concerned than blue-collar workers, interesting, honestly. Interesting.
1: Ah, okay, well, I'll talk about that more another time. I, yeah. I agree and disagree. You're right. Installing a sink is not going to, well, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> the complicated blue-collar jobs will still stay with people. But I think the creative jobs need to stay with humans as well. Mm. the second thing I thought of that just practical in my head is like, I was, man, when he was talking about those automated weapon systems.
0: Yeah. Right. Can
1: just kill someone and then sort of report back. This is what they did. And obviously it's like, you know, it's under a set of rules and it's programmed, Mm -hmm. but he sort of was making a moral judgment. He's like, as a Christian, do we really want, even if we think that other person is the enemy, do we really want a machine being able to just snuff out an image of God Yeah, And this gets into all the questions of war and all this kind of stuff. I have my own view of this, but I tend to be really leaned towards that idea that I think the Bible calls us to, you know, go the way of the cross, lay down our arms and and follow Jesus sort of. And that's how I view that. But how would my vote change if I thought automated weapon systems don't actually respect the image of God?
0: Yeah, I think he was right on saying we need to think about how we're morally responsible for... AI weapon systems. And we do need to ask, are they dehumanizing people? When I think of what AI is doing, it's trying to anticipate every scenario and make a decision about that scenario. And you just can't account for every wartime encounter and the decisions that have to be made there. But soldiers are having to make those when they come face to face with the enemy.
1: And this sort of gets into the trolley problem. We've talked about this. You guys didn't talk about it, but it's a famous problem in artificial intelligence. You have a train going on a track and say it's a self-driving train and suddenly there are people in front of the track and I can go left or right. And if it goes to the left, it kills an old woman that's crossing the train. And if you go to the right, it kills 10 people that are yeah. trapped somehow on the train. Yeah. And which does the AI do? A human driver would have a struggle with that too. But that when we have an AI doing that sort of one life versus nine lives, but then what if I tell you the old woman is your mother? You know, it starts creating this complex problem. And I think we are rightly concerned when the ethical decisions start feel like they're being outsourced.
0: Well, and where I go too is the programmers are programming these AI systems and the weapons to make decisions about various scenarios. They're the ones that are having a relationship with the victim. It's just mediated through that AI weapon system. And so those programmers have to be thinking about it, but they're also sponsored by perhaps a private company, perhaps a state government. And the the chain of moral responsibility kind of has to be articulated to some degree so that each individual along the way can make an informed
1: decision for themselves. The third personal question that I thought of after I was listening to you guys talk was, the medical stuff, when you go to the doctor and, and yeah. artificial intelligence helps diagnose you, you know, that story of where AI is sort of doing better than human doctors in some cases, right? Like, it, like <laughs> for people in comas, you know, which was amazing. Like it was discovering that human doctors were saying some people in comas just they probably weren't going to wake up, whereas the AI was saying, right. no, wait, uh, this person actually has a chance. That was an amazing story. The personal question I have, I'm just wrestling with it. It's it's, if I have to make a medical decision for my family, would I want to insist that AI is being used or not? And then how does that affect how I trust doctors or don't trust doctors, trust people that do their work? Which I honestly have no answer for. It was just, ah, what do I do? And again, there's programmers involved
0: that are pulling in those medical decisions and trying to account for
1: every scenario that's involved. I don't know if you said it there. I know you've told me this before. You say a better name for artificial intelligence might be extended intelligence.
0: Yes. I did not bring that up with him, but I do think extended intelligence is a better way to be thinking about what we call AI today because it's connected to who we are as individuals and human beings. And it's not, it's not separate
1: from us. I like that a lot. And it, to me, it makes sense, that word, it really makes sense in the medical field too. Cause I was thinking, well, I'd probably want the doctor, a human doctor and the extended intelligence of other doctors. That's really what the AI is doing. It's coming up yeah. with all this data. And like, we know certain things from doctor knowledge and it's adding the cloud of doctors of human knowledge with the personal touch <laughs> of a real doctor. And those melded yeah. together probably is the best scenario. Mm-hmm. So I like that extended intelligence idea. I'm pumping my fist
0: because I feel like that's a victory for me when I convince you of some perspective that I have.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's so ridiculous. Well, man, great conversation. (laughs) Like, thanks for interviewing
0: Jason. Yeah, thanks to Jason for being willing to come on and share about his book
1: and share his thoughts about artificial intelligence. Totally. Well, before we go, of course, we have to do vice and virtue. And you brought Jason into this. So let's hear what you pitched to him. So I have one last
0: question. At the end of every episode of Device and Virtue, we have what we call vice or virtue. That's simply a fun take on something we've talked about or just some quasi-related technology. And it's really just kind of your gut reaction. So vice or virtue?
2: Elevators. I would say if you're defining virtue as a, a good thing, I do think the elevators are a very good technology because <laughs> I've had three knee surgeries, no, four knee surgeries. Oh, and I'm my like thirty, I'm thirty something. I always forget. My wife laughs, <laughs> that I can't remember how old I am, but I've had four oh, knee surgeries and I'm fairly young. And so, not having to go up, you know, ten flights of stairs to get to my office is kind of nice.
0: No kidding. Uh,
2: Now, granted, there are bad things that maybe come along with that. But by and large, I think they're very good uses of technology. Both
0: knees or one knee four times? One
2: knee. And it's I would like to say it's because I have, you know, this kind of X games mentality. And I'm super. (laughs) No, it's just because I'm really clumsy. Uh, The only one story was cool. And that was because I was snowboarding and popped my ACL again. Oh, man. Uh, But every other story was me being a klutz or just being super clumsy every time. (laughs) All right.
0: So a virtue for you because you're a klutz. Yeah. I would have to say, so my understanding is like before elevators, buildings didn't go any higher than maybe like six stories. Hmm, And I know that. And I mean, just nobody wanted to climb that many stairs and I can't blame them. And so I think skyscrapers are amazing to think today, like the skyscrapers we have wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the elevator. I think I too will have to say it's a virtue.
2: So (laughs) I did not know that about the six floors. (laughs) We have a building right next to ours downtown in Nashville. uh, That was the original skyscraper of Nashville. Oh yeah. It is really funny how small it is compared to the other buildings around it now, but it was a sight to behold when when it was built.
0: Okay. So that's what Jason said. And that's what I said. And now, Chris,
1: it's down to you. What do you think? Elevators? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Dude, my favorite elevators are in downtown Chicago and if you haven't really lived in a huge city and actually sorry Jason bigger than Nashville oh my <laughs> word <laughs> hater uh, he's such a hater I've met before hopefully we'll be fine with it you know the really big towers you know that have like a hundred floors like you know what we used to call the Sears Tower but also all the other big ones they have elevator banks that don't even go to all the floors right because it'd be crazy right and they're all digital you walk in talk to a security guard hand them your ID say I'm going to floor you know 55 they go great Right. and they press a button and our elevator lights up. The computer just lights up and says, this elevator is going to 455. There's just a screen. There's no buttons. And you go, yes. And, right? You've done this. And you, Eddie yeah, the awesome city me. has done this and you walk into the elevator and it closes and goes, zoom. And you're at like 455 in like 20 seconds. They are crazy <laughs> fast. I get a little rush in my head, you know, just lightheaded every time that happens, <laughs> which makes me think automatically that things are a virtue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but because it makes you dizzy
1: because <laughs> they're fun and techie no dude I heard you I'm talking sure about the- that Nashville has that <laughs> well I heard him talking about that five story building in Nashville which you said buildings <laughs> need to get taller to Nashville by the way I fact checked you on that I was like really is that true so I was like you know looked up some stuff uh, and it's true mostly true <laughs> There were, true. there were buildings uh, in the 1880s uh, that were a little taller than that but they were saying the average height of buildings really was five or six stories I d- will say I did read an expert that said he didn't think elevators were what created the tall skyscraper he said it was structural steel and elevators just came along as a compatible technology so, mm,
0: they definitely facilitated each other
1: <laughs> so you can work that out in, uh, in our, your
0: own thing later cool man how many floors is the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Do you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> we should That's look what that I want to know. Someone looked that up for us. And Someone look that up and let us and, know. And it let us know. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. Yeah, at Device Virtue. Find us there. We'd love to talk to you. I'll see you later, buddy.